Hello, and welcome to part one of the 91st episode of Indie Radio, a weekly podcast in which we chat with the creative minds involved with the creation of indie games. I'm Brett Hudson. And I'm Ian Jones. Today, we spoke with Hugo Limbo and Gabe Lane, the duo behind Studio Limbo Lane and creators of Smile For Me, a nod and shake adventure. In this first half, we discussed the origin of Smile For Me, as well as how to design a minimal yet expressive format for interacting with the world, the challenges it presented, and the considerations developers need to keep in mind when designing kind games. Shall I go first? Yes, please. Alrighty, alrighty. So, I'm Hugo, and I like to do a little bit of everything. I like to do comics, I like to do animation, I like to direct things, I like to be an art director, and that's kind of how I served, mainly for the little game that we made. And, um, yeah. Uh, I'm Gabe, pronouns are she, her. I'm a game designer and game director, and uh, with Hugo, we are Limbo Lane. Uh, in 2019, we released Smile For Me, a nod and shake adventure, and that's what we're here to talk about. Yahoo! Woo! Yeah, and for the rest of the podcast, you know, I, I said that we were going to do a conversation, but I was thinking it would actually work better, maybe, if we did Q&A, and the two of you, since we have you on video and nobody else can see you, you can just nod or, you know, shake your head, depending on the answers, and... Uh, this is uh, how, that it's kind of a curated experience for you and no one else. Uh-huh. The listeners yeah. can kind of picture what they think the episode went like. Just yeah, so, so how does this sound? To, are you are you good with this? Oh, of course. Very good. Okay, thank you, Gabe. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. You broke the first rule by speaking. You guys. Oh, you think you think I play by the rules? Oh. <laughs> so we have so so we've we have established a kind of um, good cop bad cop um, situation where uh, I am going to be playing by the rules of your podcast and you go we'll, we'll just kind of we'll see how that turns out we'll see if we get a good recording out of that. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to describe Smile for me? So, as you, as you have absolutely touched on, uh, Smile For Me, A Nod and Shake Adventure is a play on the classic point-and-click adventure, um, where the mechanics, instead of pointing and clicking, are nodding and shaking using first-person controls. The game is about exploring this kind of get-well cult called the Habitat, and helping out all of the sad residents who live there, because it seems like the Habitat itself isn't doing much good for any of its patients. And it's got some spooky undertones. So you think if you think it's just a get, get well retreat, you're wrong. Got to look closer. Got to listen. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a it's a kind of sweet mystery. Um, and there are times when it's a little eerie, but it's uh, it's not a scary game. Mm-hmm. It's not full blown horror, but depends on the. Person. I would never. I would never make that. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I remember seeing the game first uh, at IndieCade, uh, which is where we met, and <laughs> I was like, "Wow, this game's really cute." And then they said that there was a very strict bedtime, and the way that they right. said it <laughs> really made me feel there's something else yeah. going on. And I was to be, like, "To Ooh. be clear, to be clear for everyone listening, when you say." Um, they said there was a very strict bedtime. Oh, yes. You're referring to a character in the game, not to us. We didn't tell you you had <laughs> yes. a very strict bedtime. 
I mean, you did, I, but <laughs> <laughs> I did, but through but through a character. Mm. Yes, our our um, our through line, the big uh, heavy quotes bad guy. The game is is Doctor Habit, who runs the habitat, um, and he has some rules that he enforces, including a strict bedtime and other kinds of other kinds of behavior that you have to get to the bottom of. So as far as the origin for the game, where did the idea stem from? Like what, how did you stumble upon creating this? It's actually a pretty funny story. So I'd have to say it was about one or 2 AM and I get a message on Tumblr from someone that I've never heard of in my entire life. And it was just like an open invitation to collaboration through a game. And a game had been something that I'd always wanted to like stick my fingers into, but I could never really like get around like the programming bit. Mm-hmm. And here, here comes Gabe, like some kind of savior. And I was like, hell yeah, let, let's do this. I took this shot in the dark. And um, after that, we just kept sort of talking and talking and the idea was born. Um, I think I think I sort of sowed the seed of like the weird, creepy cult stuff because that's just the kind of thing that I've always been into. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it started. That was the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I I came to Yugo because I had uh, I had discovered um, their work like I think literally that night and had stayed up really late looking at all of it. Um, and really wanted to open an invitation to, to work together um, and was pleasantly surprised that it was reciprocated. Um, and a lot of those early thematic ideas um, came from Hugo. And then we kind of had a lot of uh, long late night phone calls figuring out what this world could be and what its denizens could be and, and um, what it could all mean. Uh, and I came to the table with, with some mechanical ideas there were a few things that I that I had been looking for a project to uh, hang their hat on. Like, for example, nodding and shaking was uh, something I had been thinking about for a while. Um, you know, it, it, it was born out of the whole world of um, of YouTube like commentaryless playthroughs of first person shooters. You know, you're watching you're watching a playthrough of you know, like Wolfenstein, and during every cutscene or scripted moment where the player has camera control, nodding and shaking their head in first person to just kind of um, be this little this little funny camera interacting with the world is a really natural thing. Um, and I was sure, I was I was so sure that there must have been some game that had taken advantage of that by now and done the really natural thing of mapping that input. To the gameplay but uh if it has been done before no one has come to me with it yet i was actually really surprised that that um we weren't following in the footsteps of another indie by doing that um and then the way the way um conversations don't lock you into place and text bubbles track around when you turn around and the volume of a conversation is represented by the size of a text box those were those were kind of things that i brought to the table early on before we started talking the expressiveness that you could get through shaking your head uh, or nodding was so much fun to play with because uh, I streamed for a few friends 
and every once in a while I get a question I'd be like no yeah like slightly start going <laughs> side to side and then I'll be like oh my gosh um, uh, and it, it, it just, it was so delightful being able to, like, have that small little interaction. It really felt like I was able to interject some of my own personality into the player, um, which you don't really get from a whole lot of first-person experiences. Totally. That's, that, that was, um, there are a number, it's possible that we'll, that we'll run into some of them later in this conversation, but there are a number of decisions that we made from start to finish the design process that were all um, that were all based on on helping the player really um, feel immersed in this world um, because even even thematically um, the character of the flower child is is you as the player we try to blur that line as hard as we can and in as many ways as we can and the responsiveness to the way you moved your hand on the mouse uh, was a big part of that yeah. So a thing that we always say to like fans and stuff, um, people will ask, oh, what, what does Flower Kid look like? Is Flower Kid this tall? How old are they? But we always say Flower Kid is you. And even though we do say that people have come up with like so many different like designs for the Flower Kid that aren't themselves. And it's, it's a really interesting like dichotomy there because there are, there are people who are making like Flower Kid designs that are themselves. But it's it's interesting to see like that blend of style that people like put themselves into. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, people, I, I would think one of the big reasons people would always come to us asking what they look like is because they really wanted to do fan art of that character in particular. Um, and every other character is seen enough for you to do fan art of, but not that one. Um, but people have a lot of really cool interpretations, including interpretations that just cast the flower kid as. Um, a set of uh, like empty clothes with the items floating in front of them, like truly taking that abstraction and putting it in the most literal way possible, which I think is a really interesting interpretation of what we give you, right? Like if we give you something really abstract that shows you um, your items floating in front of you, cycling around, and then you say, okay, that means those items are floating and cycling around in front of the character. I like that. I think that's, that's almost finishing what we started. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. There was there was at one point where I, I moved the camera uh, just slightly, and I was able to see kind of the the objects move a little bit, and that that definitely gave me that idea of like oh these these items might actually be like floating down beneath me, and I absolutely love that. Um, actually, those those items, funnily enough, um, this is this is a little bit technical, but those uh-huh. items are not are not contained in UI. They're actually lurking around in <laughs> world space. So if you were able to, to hack the camera and move it out of the character, <laughs> you would see a little bouquet of items floating around in the real world. I was, I was so close to even giving them a shadow in the, in the real world, but I thought that yeah. was a bit too far. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. Did you try doing it in UI at any point? Um, Doing it in UI would have been much easier. The answer oh. was I just wanted to use, I just wanted to use like a single, uh, you go, uh, red green splitting. Um, oh, aberration. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Um, chromatic aberration, the like red green splitting at the fringes mm. of a of a distorted lens. 
um, mm-hmm. is a big part of a bunch of Hugo's art, and it was a thing I really, really liked. Um, and we really wanted to get that on the on the items that you were holding, but it turned out to be easier to to put those items into world space and run that filter once than to have some second filter that ran over the UI. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. It was so it was it was literally all just for a slight a slight bit of, of camera camera mushiness. Yeah. We really put priority into like those little details and stuff because if you if you also look closely, there's like a tiny bit of grain over everything too. I would say that that we put a lot of effort into camera mushiness in general. We made a lot of things very mushy to look at in this game, and we spent a lot of time doing it. <laughs> How would you describe this mushiness? Oh um, boy! How would you? I don't even know what I was talking about. Quantify that, that word now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, there's just there's I think um, there's a there's a a way that the kind of bounciness and springiness of the kind of like UI and game systems that I like to make. There's a way that that played really really well with Hugo's art. Um, so like sprites that Hugo made kind of bouncing and squishing in a really flowy, natural way to express some kind of emotion um, just turned out to play really well. And there's a lot of that in all the various parts. You know, very little in this game snaps rigidly or moves linearly. It all kind of flows and bounces a little bit, which I think I really like. It's so good. (laughs) It is interesting because that kind of gives it more of an organic feel than most games, and I think that kind of leads directly into the empathy that this game exhibits. Uh, it's just really fascinating as you're going through. It feels more like you're actually interacting with these people, and I, I also love. I know we've already talked a little bit about the uh, the nod and shake aspect of it, but I really love how that solves this long-standing problem that games have had of how do you let the player kind of get into the shoes of who they're playing as. And a lot of times I see modern games trying to do the whole method of, oh, pick a dialogue option or whatever. But when you hear someone else's voice talking for you, that's not nearly as personal, I think, as just being able to nod or shake. And it really feels like, wait, this is this is me. I'm, like, reacting as myself. Um, and so that's all really fascinating to me. And uh, I, I guess I'm partly, I'm curious, how much were you thinking about how that would affect the game in less obvious ways when you built that out. I want to toss this over to Hugo after I try to answer it first, but we were talking about all of the ways that we never wanted to assume anything about the player character um, from, from, from day one to day minus one. Like we... That sorry, that was a, that was a dumb programming <laughs> joke. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but we that that decision was made very much um, because we really wanted dialogue trees, and we never even as even as much as yes or no. I, I have never felt connection to dialogue choices, and I think even if even if dialogue choices help you build out a character, doesn't necessarily mean your character, you know? Um, so, so we were definitely thinking about 
um, how that would allow you to become a little bit more immersed. Um, and I mean, I, I personally, I don't think that, that Hugo and I are necessarily done with the nod and shake formula, but even outside of that, I have a whole host of ideas in my head lined up for ways to do interesting conversation trees without ever assuming anything about the character. And it really comes down to, to having a diegetic set of restrictions on what a character can do, right? Um, the reason why you're not um, broken from immersion by nodding and shaking, the reason why you're not like, why can I only nod and shake? Why can't I just like, why can't I just say the thing I'm trying to say to this character? Um, is because we give you like a diegetic excuse. We tell you that like you are quiet and like no one's really ever heard you talk. And that's so simple. That's such an easy trick, but it means that people buy into it. And there's a whole host of other ways I've thought about doing that even outside of the non-shake formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, character immersion was al always very important, like Gabe was saying. Um, and we just really wanted the players to like feel like, yes, this is you. Um, so when we did get the fan response of um, people being really like into the characters, like, oh, I want to date this character. Oh, man, I really like this character. When, when they finally got to the part of the game where they were able to get the kiss mechanic, people went nuts. They were like, yes, uh, I can finally kiss so-and-so. I can finally, and then they get like that little bit of dialogue option from them that made their heart warm and stuff. And I thought that was really hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think, I think stuff like that um, really helped in the end with people feeling like, oh, this flower kid isn't just some flower kid, this is me. And of course there were other people who like interpreted it differently, but I think it really helped with things like that, that like that fulfilling prophecy that they wanted from the very beginning when they looked at a character and like, ooh, this character's kind of spicy. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard of you've heard of games as wish fulfillment, and I guess the wish is just taking a big set of set of lips in your hands and pushing it onto someone. <laughs> the kiss and the boxing glove were two were two things that we added because so 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 the way you interact with this world, right? Um, like a like a point and click adventure, you are going up to people, you're nodding your head or shaking your head to progress through dialogue trees. Um, there are some times when the responses are more complicated than that. Um, there are times when characters will respond to you turning your back on them. Think, and those aren't those aren't hidden. Those are those are in places where one might realize this is how someone would naturally react, right? Like for example, um, there's a moment where you are bargaining with a character to try to haggle down the price of an item um, when you don't even have currency. You have no money, and this guy's trying to charge you a ton of money. So you you. Uh, continually walk away, and each time he, he goes, no, 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 and he stops you. Um, so you have also these items, and these items, as you gain them, are ways that you interact with the world other than just nodding and shaking. Um, and uh, this is this is mostly for listeners, but the the lips and the boxing gloves are two items that we had a lot of fun adding because they are both items that um, they have a they have a a use for the plot for the main line of puzzles, but also you can use either of them anyone. Every character has a response when you kiss them or when you punch them. And people kind of naturally found themselves, once they got those items, trying it on everyone. 
um, once they had this new way of interacting with the world, they really wanted to test out the breadth of it. That was really nice to see, I thought. Yeah, I think I ended up kissing about half the characters. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, right, yeah, towards yeah. the end I was like, hmm, who else should I kiss? Who else do I want to kiss? It's like, ah, oh, you know yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had a ton of fun writing all of the responses for the kisses. Because, yeah. of course, some there are some characters who are like, hmm, maybe not yet. We should, we should just be friends for now. And then there are some characters who are like, yes, you kissed me. Um, yes. That was, that was, if I can talk about a little bit of a design challenge that our weird abstractness got us over. There are several children in this game. You see where this is going. We don't want you to be able to kiss the children. But um, the way this game has been set up, we have established that these items, like the lips and the boxing glove, are not parts of you. They are objects that someone literally handed to you. Like when you use your lips, they disappear from your hands. You gave those lips to someone. So um, the way we, the way we uh, got around this is that um, the characters that we don't think you should be able to kiss because it's creepy they aren't responding to a kiss. They're responding to you handing them a pair of lips, um, which they have, which they, they treat in their own ways, right? Like there's one person who takes them and is like, and is like, thank you. I'm going to use this to kiss like their romantic interests. They're like, they're like, you you bequeath these to me. And there's another person who's like, why did you hand me this? I hate it. What is it? <laughs> so, so, so the 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 way that we establish these items as um, literally things floating in front of you or things in your in your bouquet in your inventory allowed us to um, have a range of kinds of responses that this world could have that would all feel um, that would all feel non fourth wall breaking when you give someone lips they can either act like you kiss them or act like you handed them lips and both of them um, don't break your immersion was that kind of inventory system because that's one of the other things I was curious about was that also there from like right at the beginning or was it like partway through you were like oh the hand that's not actually your hand we should just make that something in your inventory again that you could hand it to you at the very beginning of the game like that sort of thing is I, I don't think I've seen that before either so that was so <laughs> interesting <laughs> that was definitely there from the beginning to to clarify <laughs> To, to clarify, I think what, what Ian is circling around is what one might call the very first joke in the game is the first character you speak to is like, man, you really don't have much to interact with this world, huh? Here, let me give you a hand. And then gives you a hand. And uh, the UI goes, got hand. And now you have a hand. And it immediately opens up the door to this question of like, wait, so it's not my hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm using it for sure, but it's not, it's not attached to me. Um, the, the, the cycling inventory, I mean, we have videos dating back to the week we started talking that have, you know, the week we started talking, I, I got a couple of images that you go sent over to test, and I just threw together a little bit of a first-person controller, and that cycling inventory was in there from, you know, day one. Um, the joke, the joke came later, but I think we never even talked about it, but I think we both just assumed that those items were literally floating in front of you, not parts of you. Like, it's not an abstraction. 
Yeah, and it may not be the player's hand, but it is literally my hand. There's, <laughs> it, it, it is a JPEG of my hand floating around the game that you use the entire time. That, yeah. that was something I was curious. I was like, whose hand is this? <laughs> there she There's is. Wait, it's the, one, it's the one with the mole. So, okay, no, it's this one. This, oh, is, this, is, one. this is the hand. Yugo is currently Yugo is currently brandishing a hand towards everyone, <laughs> holding it with the other hand as if as if it has to be held up. It's great. Cosplay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, it. it's it's your left hand, right? Uh, so, yeah. Because that was another thing that I didn't pick up on immediately, but I thought that was an interesting choice because most games seem to just assume that the player's hand should be like the dominant right hand, like mm -hmm. it is for I guess majority of people but mm -hmm. it was interesting that it looked like you generally interact using like your left side if i recall correctly and i, mm. I, it's weird oh, yeah. I don't know if that was like a thought out like intentional thing or if that just happened but it was interesting to me so the reason it's my left hand is because <laughs> i took my your... dominant right <laughs> hand and yeah. i picked up my phone and i took a picture of my left hand <laughs> and that's the secret for the record, yeah. for the record, we made this game before photos could be flipped horizontally. Like the technology just didn't exist mm. yet. So right. as a result, it had to be the you know. I mean, we talked, right. we talked to to people at Kodak. We talked to Microsoft. No one could flip that photo. Um, yeah, like you we, might be able to write a shader, but it'll probably turn the hand blue. Uh, <laughs> we, for the record, the hand of the game is tinted a little bit green. I think. Yeah. Um, I. You know, I I, thought, I think there maybe was a reason because I remember toying with which direction the items come out from when they when you use them, but I, I think it might have just been what looked the cleanest. Actually, at the end of the day, it might have been still a bias towards right-handedness because it might have been like I tend to want to see the world with the right half of the screen, so it might not be as progressive as. <laughs> As we could go. Get some point. <laughs> but it does yeah. it does have Hugo's glorious left hand for every player to see. Yeah, um I guess something to explain to the listeners who haven't heard of the game before, a big part of the aesthetics is collage stuff. So like real world uh pictures put through like sort of a magazine filter into the game. Like mo most of the items will be pictures of real-life things that I have doctored or things that I've painted to look realistic. Um, some of them are more on the cartoony side still, but they ended up fitting just because of how I shaded them. Yeah, yeah. I, God, I'm glad you clarified that, because I think we would have just kept, kept moving on, and I don't think we would have explained. <laughs> <laughs> you have defined... A term called kind games. Is this a term that, you, or rather, is this a term that you coined? Is this a term that's already existed? Like, what's what's kind of the community around kind games? Does it differ from wholesome games? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it differs from wholesome games. Um, although, I think we've been associated with wholesome games. There's an outlet that is named that, yes? Yeah. Kind games are, oh God, I don't even think I'm qualified to, to define this. It's, it's a term that um, I've heard used um, in reference to like my game and games like 
um, like Grace Bruxner's Frog Detective, um, and those kinds of games that are built around kindness as a mechanic, um, or if, if not a mechanic with a capital N, some kind of some kind of ludic piece of the puzzle. Um, so I, I definitely didn't come up with the term. Um, at Indiecade last year, um, I was asked to speak um, on, a, on a little panel about kind games, and that had um, like a representative for Frog Detective, um, and it had, um, uh, sorry, I just, uh, Kind Words, I don't know why I just lost my, um, Kind Words, the letter writing game, also a game um, built around kindness as a mechanic. Um, it's a genre that I would like to see explored more and in more interesting ways, and it's also a genre that I think we want to continue to paddle around in. Um, I think that's maybe the best I can do. I definitely didn't come up with that. Um, it was assigned to us. It came to us. And they're like, here's First your crown. <laughs> right, yes, yes. Indicade. Celia Pierce came to us and said, here's your crown, go to this panel. Like, okay. This is the first that I'd heard of the the kind games term and stuff. Um, it was it was sort of a genre, I guess if you could call it a genre, that I'd never really, like, heard of. Despite, despite me being into more of, like, the underground weird, like, indie games. Um, but it was really refreshing to see that there was more stuff like that out there. Yeah. My, my understanding is that that term has kind of come into vogue recently. Um, that it's been a last couple of years kind of thing. As there have been more games that people want to want to call kind games, the term itself becomes something that people are tossing around more, which is great. Because um, you know, uh, kind words um, made a big made a big splash, um, bigger than us for sure. Um, they have you know something like I think they they in the last couple of months passed the one million. Uh, letter writing threshold. Like people in that game have have uh, cumulatively sent one million actual um, anonymous letters to one another, um, giving them advice about the troubles in their life, um, which I think is really fascinating and cool. And I'd like to see more interesting experimental um, experimental work done in that kind of subgenre. So, have you started to conceptualize what that would look like? Do you have another project on the horizon? Um, well, without revealing too much, we've been uh, doing a lot of thinking and a lot of talking about how to work on another game that uh, takes as many of the parts of Smile for Me that people are really connected with, um, while making something that's that's um, totally new. Um, we can say the thing that we're working on has a really cool new art style that we're excited about that still is going to have all of the best parts of Hugo's unbelievable character design um, and, a lot, and a lot of charm and wit. Um, what, else, what else could we say about this game? It's not, it's not, um, it's not a, a sequel or prequel or anything okay. to smile for me. So it's yeah. not smile to me or anything. No. <laughs> smile to me. 
No, it's its own. It's going to be its own world, um, and it's going to have uh, new mechanics, new ways of interacting with this, with this world, but um, trying to keep a lot of things that um, made people really like Smile for me. Yeah, um, it's probably going to end up being a little bit bigger in scope than Smile for me. Um, but of course, we're, we are going to try to keep like a lot of the things that people felt attached to while giving a new spin on it. Um, I'm very excited about it. It's, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I think people are really going to like this too. Um, it's definitely still going to be weird. It's still going to be abstract. It's probably still going to be creepy in some places, but above all, it's still going to be funny because something that we really liked with um, what we did in Smile for Me is the way that we portrayed humor. And that is not going away anytime soon. Yeah. It also is still going to be a, about kindness in one way or another. Um, mm -hmm. It's a thing that we don't want to want to let go of. Um, yeah, like Yuka said, slightly bigger scope. We might um, pull one or two more people into the team, either in the short or long term. Because um, the first one was almost entirely us doing the bulk of the, quote, gamey work. Um, we might have have another person or two helping us out um, achieving this, this slightly larger scope this time, but we're really excited. Is there anything else that has been on your mind that you, you'd like to talk about? Hmm. Um, I, guess, I guess one thing that I've been thinking about lately, um, I think that indie games in general are going to save the industry in a way. Because um, there's definitely places for stuff like AAA games, but I feel like in terms of like innovation and stuff, indie games are always going to be like more accessible, more uh, progressive in ways. Um, and I think that it'd be really interesting if AAA games started taking note of that and seeing all the unique ways that indie games are working and speaking to people perhaps more than AAA games tend to speak to people. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I'm trying to think if I have anything to add to that. I, I don't know. Um, Ian, do you have anything? AAA better watch out. I mean, Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Triple A better better watch your back. Every time I every time I watch a, a playthrough of of Portal Two and see someone nodding and shaking their head at Glados, I'm like, yeah. we got you. We have what your customers want, Valve. We got there. Yeah. Yeah. There's also an interesting split, and I saw Nina Freeman tweeting about it the other day. Um, that there's starting to be a bigger span of what games are. Like there's, there's like indie indie quote unquote that is still you know no funds. They publish it themselves. Like I don't really want to say purist because it's it's kind of exclusionary. But there's sure. they're more of like you know independent. And then there's like indies that are closer to a you know a double A studio or they have people that have funding, a publisher, you know, like they, they have uh, a platform already and like lots of experience to throw at that. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious about how that larger range is going to, you know, produce different experiences and how we're going to see them possibly diverge at some point. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've seen some of that divergence already a little bit. Um, and I mean, I, I think that there's like a role that that um, indie publishers are going to play in this a little bit. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a, a ton to say about this other than this. Like, this is a thing that, that I think about a lot, especially as it relates to our work and um, how much of the fact that our game was um, a totally grassroots indie kind of thing affected the end product, you know? Not that any approach is better than another, but there were there were definitely exciting things that happened in development that wouldn't have happened if every decision went by four people instead of two. Right. Um, I mean, there also were things that would have been better if decisions went by four people or like if we had a dedicated person who could be doing testing through the whole development or um, had more than zero dollars to our name for marketing. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's a lot in how it results in a different kind of um, expression of art. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting to kind of play. I meant to ask earlier, do you have any suggestions uh, for like a, any developers who are trying to build more kind, wholesome games and trying to actually bring more empathy into what they're building and so moving away from like a triple a having all their shooting and violence stuff pretty consistently um are there any resources or anything like that that you can suggest um i i maybe this is a question that we should each answer individually probably um the thing that i want to say is that to make a game that is truly kind you have to abandon some of the thinking that um, <laughs> that has been ingrained in you as someone who has played games for a long time, because um, you know all games that we ever played have been the product of a value system, and a lot of those games have been product of products of very similar value systems, um, and those value systems do not necessarily allow the grafting of kindness on as an afterthought, um, right? Like, what, is it, what does it mean to make a game that has a currency? What does it mean to make a game where the symbolism of a diamond or a jewel means something, right? What does it even mean to make a game that um, tells you uh, how much progress you achieved or tells you how good of a job you did? Um, there are not right answers to these questions, but there are things to think about, and making a kind game is more than theming. Um, kindness is a decision that factors in starting from when you think about your mechanics and ending in when you um, put as much time as you can into accessibility because it's not kind to make a game that's all, that's all smiley, but 10% um, of people can't play, right? So, so my my answer is that kindness is not an aesthetic. It's a new, different way of designing games, and you have to abandon some of the things that you learned were satisfying or fun or mechanically interesting and discover your new ones. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally on all of that. Um, but I think 
also you have to be a kind person yourself to make a kind game. Like if you're someone who grew up with only playing stuff, and I'm not dissing these games, it's just like a different different scope. Um, playing games like Call of Duty or um, Halo and all that, and that's all you've ever known, and then you go ahead and you're like, okay, I want to make a game. Chances are the kind of game you're going to make is something like that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think I think a lot of it comes from like the type of things that you were like raised on. Like, did you were you a more Nintendo person? Nintendo games tend to have like more of a friendly, bubbly outlook than let's say I don't know like Xbox or PlayStation games. Um, and of course, there's nothing wrong with growing up with those either. But um, yeah, I think I think it, a lot of it depends on who you are as an artist or a developer or a programmer and what you want to put in the world as a result of that. I, I think the best you can aim to be as someone who plays and makes games is someone who who considers those decisions, which doesn't mean there's anything that you should or shouldn't play. You know, like a lot of people are surprised right. to find out that like I I really enjoy some like first person shooters like like TF two. I really like, which is surprising because it's very different from what I make. Um, but I also make it a point to think critically about those things, which doesn't mean I can't enjoy that art, but I think about why I enjoy it. And um, that helps for a few reasons. It helps as a game designer, but it also helps as someone who's trying to be a different kind of game designer. And even if I like, even if I like Team Fortress 2, um, I may be thinking critically about how it achieves that enjoyment um, and maybe the kind of enjoyment that I'm looking for at the games I make is nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question? That's great, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really fantastic. Thank you. All right. Thank you both for coming on. Absolutely, this was, this yeah. was really, really great. Um, should we uh, let everyone know where to find us? Absolutely, go for it. Um, you go, do you wanna? Sure thing. You can find me on almost every single website just if you type in Yugsly, Y-U-G-S-L-Y, or just type in Yugo Limbo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the YouTubes, I'm on the Twitters, I'm on the Tumblrs, and the Instagrams, even if I don't know how to use that last one very well. I'm there. <laughs> I've never even heard of any of those. Um, <laughs> I, you can find... My social media, my my um, Twitter, my Tumblr, and my Instagram are Gabe of Lane, um, and my website is GabeLane.com. Um, there are links to Smile for Me and a couple of other projects, um, and I, I think that's it's mostly where I'm at. Um, that's us. That's Limbo Lane. Fantastic. Ooh. And for your next game, where would the where would the place be to keep an eye out for announcements and news Twitter. about that? Yeah, keep following our Twitters um, for for the moment until anything changes. We've been posting stuff about Limbo Lane on the Twitters of Limbo and Lane. Yeah. So so that's where you should give a follow if you uh, want to see any news about a new project. Thank you for listening into part one of episode 91 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is recorded using open broadcaster software and edited with Audacity. You can find more of our shows on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. 
Next week, we continue our conversation with Limbo Lane, discussing Smile For Me's epilogue, the community that has emerged around the game, designing fun websites, method acting, and what's next for the studio. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you then.